Praise the Lord, it's a true privilege and a joy uh, and a sincere honour to be here back in the lifeboat to have the privilege of bringing the Word of God to you all this morning. I thank God for His travelling mercies. I've come over with my wife and children and this time and it's a joy to um, be with Brother Stephen again and Bertie and um, the elders here and I just send all my greetings from the brothers and sisters in Wolverhampton, England and we're praying for you every Sunday. There's not a Sunday that passes that we're not praying um, for the lifeboat and we share the same heart and sentiments to see the true moving of God again in our land for him to pour water upon the thirsty land and to just flood us with his great presence and in his mercy. And so I'm just going to um, just pray and then just bring the word this morning. Father, I just thank you so much for the privilege of being here. I count it, Father, an honour to be standing, Lord, in this pulpit, Father. And Lord, to have the opportunity to bring your word this morning, I pray for the quickening power of thy spirit. Lord, I'm so conscious that it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. And I ask, Lord, as has already been prayed, that you would fill this vessel of clay, Lord, beyond, Father, what I could expect or conceive, and that, my God, your word would not be hindered this morning from going forth on account of my weakness. In fact, my weakness this morning might prove to be thy glory and strength, Father, and that you would touch hearts, Lord. You would open hearts. You would come and walk, Lord, in our midst and search the corridors of our heart this morning. Uncover those areas that may, Lord, be hidden over this morning and bring to us the fullness of your heart, your revelation this morning, Lord, and lead us on to higher ground, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. If you wouldn't mind turning, please, to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And I'm going to just be reading three verses this morning, verses 18 down to verse 20. 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and verses 18 down to verse 20. A title this morning's sermon, Bought with a Price. Bought with a Price. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, outside the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Amen. Amen. And so again, Lord, we implore for your help now. We humble ourselves under thy mighty hand. Lord, we stand in the place of need this morning. This preacher stands in the place of need. And my God, we acknowledge this morning that if you do not come, Lord, and illuminate the scriptures in a divine way this morning, 
If you do not come, Lord, to hearts that otherwise would be like stone and melt us, Lord, and thaw out, Lord, the, the cold, frozen hearts this morning, then, Lord, we fear we will leave this meeting the same manner in which we came. And so I do ask, Lord, Father, it's not that we ask that your presence would add the finishing touch, but rather that we acknowledge that your presence is the very foundation, Father, of this meeting as we stand upon the finished work of Calvary and the complete canon of Scripture. We pray this morning you'd come and crown this meeting with your presence. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Bought with a price is the title of the sermon that God has placed upon my heart. Being raised in 21st century Britain, I've never had the painful displeasure of attending a slave market. Yet in the days of the Roman Empire in the 1st century AD, it would have been commonplace. In fact, so embedded into Roman culture was slavery that were they to travel 2,000 years into our present day, they would think it unthinkable that society could function without it. Historians estimate that between 10 and 20% of the total population of the Roman Empire was comprised of slaves. This equates to an astonishing 5 to 10 million. Tens of thousands could be taken in a single conquest and be enslaved. Individuals who had fallen into debt beyond their ability to repay. Infants abandoned to die by their parents at birth. Criminals and the sorry victims of piracy. All would be fair game to be trafficked and sold on the open slave markets. Traders would parade their human livestock on a raised platform with signs around their necks advertising their expertise of service. One a potential cook, another educated in philosophy or medicine. To my right a farmer, to my left a labourer. Each would be examined for physical and mental defects before being sold to the highest bidder. And you say this morning, Brother Paul, what was life like for those poor souls in captivity? Often miserable. What were their rights? They had none. What were their privileges? Are you serious? Under Roman law, slaves were regarded as the personal property of their masters to be brought, sold, and mistreated at will. They had no rights of their own, no privileges to their name. They could not so much as own a piece of property nor enter into a contract with their fellow man. They could not legally marry. 
should they see a bride? And if the truth be told on this Lord's Day morning, slaves were the lowest class of society, and even freed criminals had more rights than they. Well, having painted this despairing picture, I want to invite you this morning to come with me for a moment in the imagination of your mind to the slave market where once you stood on the blocks for sale. A sorry spectacle, if ever I did see one. Maimed and stained by the vice of sin, bound by the shackles of iniquity, a thoroughbred reprobate, of whom the placard which hangs around your neck reads, not worthy, not worthy of purchase. The punters press in around you as the bidding begins. Who will give me 50 denarii? Bearing mind that the average price of an unskilled slave in those days was around 500 denarii. Who will give me 50 denarii? Silence. Who will give me 40? Silence. Okay, someone start me at 20 then. Surely he's worth 20 denarii. And as the punters draw away and the crowds thin out, suddenly a man appears of royal descent. I'll have him, the man exclaims. And as he draws near to the blocks, I notice he has no coins with which to make his purchase, but in his hands instead, two bleeding wounds. With what means will you make payment for the slave? And with outstretched hands, the answer comes with royal blood. I have given my life a ransom that this slave might go free. My dear people, would you let that sink in this morning? Because this is no story of fictitious devising. The scriptures tell us in Romans chapter 5 and verses 6 through to 8, that when we, that you and I, were yet without <clears throat> strength, when we were sick with sin and feeble on account of those chains of iniquity which weighed us down, while we were yet without strength, we're told in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Oh, let that sink in. In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man, 
Some would even dare to die. But God commend us. He demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then Peter writes in his first epistle in 1 Peter, chapter 1 and verse 18, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed, ransomed, bought in order to be set free, we were not redeemed, we were not redeemed with corruptible things as with silver and gold from your vain conduct. The corrupt manner of life in which we once lived, received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spots. Wesley penned in that famous hymn, Five Bleeding Wounds He Bears, received on Calvary. They pour effectual prayers. They strongly plead for me. Forgive him, oh, forgive, they cry, nor let that ransomed sinner die nor let that ransomed sinner die. My brothers and sisters, we've been bought, bought with a price. When we speak of redemption, what we are really talking about is liberty at a price. When we speak of redemption, it's a biblical word. What we're really speaking of is liberty at a price. Freedom at a cost. One who formerly was enslaved and in bondage being bought in order to set them free. This is what we mean by the word redemption. When kidnappers take a hostage, they put out a ransom. In other words, a price is raised. And if they want to be freed, then that price must be paid. It's called a ransom. When a man is sold into slavery, one way in which he can be set free, that is redeemed, is if that freedom is purchased at a price. Redemption. We read in Matthew chapter 20 and verse 28 these words. The Son of Man, these are the words of Jesus Christ, came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. A ransom for many. Matthew chapter 20 and verse 28. Jesus gave his life. The means in which he paid, he bought, reprobate sinners, 
was through the price of his precious blood in order to procure our freedom. But the question that I want to ask you this morning is this. Freedom from what? Freedom from what? That's the question. Well, if you turn to John's Gospel, chapter 8. John's Gospel, chapter 8. And... Verses 31 and 32. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. But again, I ask the question, free, free from what? You see, freedom can mean many things. But in the biblical context this morning, I'm asking the question, what does freedom look like? What does freedom look like? Well, let's continue reading in verse 33. They answered him. You see, they were offended that Jesus could suggest to them that they need to be free. Because they didn't consider themselves to be slaves. They answered him, we be Abraham's seed. We were never in bondage. We were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? Jesus answered them, verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin, and the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the Son abideth ever. If the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. Free from what? Well, the context tells us in verse 34, Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin, that means practices, sin, is the servant, is the slave of sin. One translation reads, Truly, truly, I say unto you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Those to whom Jesus spoke were in bondage to that sin. They were enslaved to it. And was not that the case of every single one of us here before we knew the Lord? We were held under the grip and the dominion and the power of iniquity. You say to me this morning, Brother Paul, from what did Christ set us free? I answer emphatically, 
He sets us free from the bondage, the dominion, and the rule of sin. In the words of Charles Wesley, he breaks the power of cancelled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. I'm speaking to you this, this morning about this matter of freedom. Now in the minds of many Christians today, when we speak of freedom in Christ, it carries with it a misnomer that somehow freedom means that we are without a master. I want to say that again. That in the minds of many Christians today, this concept of freedom carries with it a misnomer that somehow by being free, it means that we are without a master. It's, it's this easy grace message which purports that you can have Jesus as saviour and, well, just pick and choose whether you want him to be Lord. I mean, the Lord bit perhaps will reserve for those more dedicated. I'll get there, but for now I'm happy with him just being saviour. But as I read the scriptures, I want to put it to you plainly this morning that if Jesus is not your Lord, then he's not your saviour. You don't get to dissect things. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And oh, that's what kept me long from turning to follow my Lord because I knew the cost. Happy to acknowledge him as saviour and have sins forgiven and go on in them, but to repent and turn from sin. To step down from the throne of my own heart and crown him Lord of Lords. Well, that was a different proposition altogether, the cost of which at that time I was not willing to pay. And until I was willing to pay that price and come to the saviour on his grounds, my life remained empty and bound by iniquity in the chains of sin. But that glad day, when I bowed the knee, and another came to take up residence in this vessel, to fill me with his power and with his glory, to change the thoughts and the motivation and the direction of my life, he broke those chains apart. He blasted them to pieces and set this poor captive free. Jesus says in that same, as we've already read in John chapter 8, he says, if you continue in my words, then are ye my disciples indeed. Verse 31. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. If you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. 
And the last time that I checked and understood what was meant by discipleship, by definition, it requires that you follow a master. I mean, at its very core. You can't have a disciple without a master. The disciple follows the master. It's like a footballer. Can, it, can you be a footballer with no football? An artist with no paintbrush? Well, in the same wise, freedom from one master does not mean that we're free to serve no master. If you are a child of God this morning, then you've been taken out of captivity, one kind of captivity, and brought under the rulership and dominion of another. That's New Testaments. And George Charles Wesley hit the nail on the head when he wrote in that famous hymn, And Can It Be? Long my imprisoned spirit lay fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray, I woke the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Followed thee. What does freedom look like? There it is. Free from a master? No. Free from the dominion and the rule and the power and the authority of sin in our lives. Free to serve the Lord. Free to live for him. Free to follow him. Free to walk in his ways. And any concept of freedom that shelves this idea is unbiblical. This idea that I'm free to live my life and somehow Jesus is like an attachment, like an arm or a leg. Take it or leave it. No. He comes into the life of a man and a woman that is yielded to him. In other words, what I'm trying to say to you this morning, dear brethren, is that if you are a child of God, then you have been redeemed from the prison of sin that you might be bound to another. Think about that. Freedom. Freedom. Redeemed. Bought with a price. With royal blood. In order that I might be delivered from the prison of sin wherein I once dwelt in order that I might be bound to another. You can't miss the last bit. Bound to another. Well, let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I'm speaking to you this morning about being bought Bought, bought with a price, bought. Paul writes in 
verse 18, flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without or outside the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? Paul asks the question to believers in Corinth who were, some of them at least, being tempted with this sin of fornication. They'd come from an idolatrous background where this sin featured prominently in the worship of their false deities. Paul says, flee that kind of sin, run from it. And we see, at least in England, that that sin plagues our land. And the word of God is clear to flee, to run, to flee fornication. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he that commits this kind of sin sins against his own body. What? Paul exclaims. He asks the believers there in Corinth, do you not know that your body is a temple in which the glory of God dwells, the Holy Spirit? Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you. The Holy Spirit which you've received of God. And you are not your own. For ye are bought bought with a price, ransomed, been redeemed, purchased, bought, bought, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Oh, I would encourage you this morning, brothers and sisters, to ponder long and hard the words that are contained in these verses. Read them through, and when you've read them, read them through again. What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, Selah? I mean, the ramifications and of those words, the, as one ponders and thinks that God Almighty by His Spirit dwelleth not in buildings made with the hands of men, but dwells in vessels of clay. That as we walk this earth, we carry in us the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God. Your body is a temple. A temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and ye are not your own. How many Christians view their bodies in this way? With the understanding that they don't belong to us anymore. You see, if I purchase something, then... I own it. 
It belongs to me. It may have belonged to you previously, but when I purchased it from you, it's no longer yours. It's now mine. And in the same way, our bodies are no longer ours because they were purchased by the Saviour, ransomed through his precious blood, bought with a price on that open slave market as you lay in the gutters of this world. Unworthy. He purchased you. He bought you. And now you're not your own anymore. My ambitions, my will, my desires, my future, my dreams signed over to another master, to the saviour who bought me. No longer am I my own. He bought it. He ransomed it with royal blood. Therefore, if that be the case, then the exhortation to you and to me this morning is this. Glorify God in your body and in your spirit. In context, don't defile. Defile the temple of God with sexual immorality. Flee from it. Glorify this purchased vessel. Glorify God's in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. The day that I became a free man, I was issued with new papers. There was a transferal in ownership who hath delivered us from the power of darkness in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13 and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Taken from the kingdom of darkness, emancipated, set free, bought and purchased, transferal of kingdoms, planted in now into the kingdom of God. Same sentiments being bought, brought to bear that a kingdom has a king, King Jesus. I'm in his kingdom now. Delivered us from the power of darkness and have translated us into the kingdom of his dear son in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. And so as I close this morning, I have to ask the question, from what were you redeemed? From what? In other words, how does your life differ now that you've been bought and 
belong to another master? How does your life differ from previously how you lived? And I understand that we can give a biblical definition of redemption and we can explain with great, great skill perhaps what ransomed looks like and redeemed looks like. But I'm not asking for a definition in terms of words this morning. I'm asking for a demonstration of your life. What does redemption look like? How does it look like in your life and mine? If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. Now, as I close this morning, if you would turn, please, to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, and I'll read from verse 15. And brothers and sisters, these are <clears throat> truths that we have to remind ourselves of on a regular basis. What know ye not, Paul says, multiple times through the scriptures, not least here in Romans 6 and verse 3, because we're prone as we mingle with this world to forget that we belong to another world. We're prone as we walk through this kingdom to forget that we are citizens of another kingdom. Different principles, different laws and rules. And we have need of continually bringing our mind to the word of God that we might renew our understanding because we're prone to get jaded in this world and tarnished in this world and we can forget the kind of lives for which Christ died to give us the possibility of living. And we need to remind ourselves again this morning that we have been bought with a price, that we are no longer our own, and we're to glorify God in our body and our spirits. What then, in verse 15, shall we sin? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbids. God forbids. Shall we continue in the habitual practice of sin? Because we're no longer under law, but under grace? Well, the modern church would say yes. Because that's what grace is, isn't it? It's the means by which God pardons. Well, not according to Romans chapter 6. Grace is the enabling power of God. It's 
the means that he has made through Calvary, through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. So that those chains which once held us can be broken and we can be set free from that prison of sin and death. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey? whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Paul here is writing to believers. And there are times that we can, as it were, create these theological loopholes to get us off the hook. But Paul says, no, the proof is in the pudding. To whom ye yield your servants, or you yield yourselves servants to obey, there's your master. His servants you are, to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death, or of obedience unto righteousness, but God be thanked that ye were past tense, ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you, being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. Being made free from sin, ye became the servants of another, namely the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members' servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members' servants, servants, servants to righteousness unto holiness. For when you were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. When you were shackled by sin, you didn't owe righteousness anything because it wasn't your master. Sin was your master. And because sin was your master, you served him faithfully. You served him well. You went above and beyond. But look at the fruit that you had when you lived like this committing things that now you look back and you're ashamed of. For the end of those things is death. But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, you have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. We've been set free and bought with a price. Set free from the dominion and the power of sin in our lives. Does that mean that we're never going to be tempted? No. Temptation comes to us all. But what it means is that we now have the freedom to say no. 
We have the freedom to yield our members now, our eyes and our hands and our feet and even our thoughts. That each and every time that old master presents himself and we're tempted in the area of sin, we have power to yield our members now as instruments of righteousness unto God as those that are alive from the dead according to Romans 6 and verse 13. We've been made free from sin, but we've been joined and bound now to another master. His name is Jesus Christ, and we've become servants of God's, and we're to have our fruit now unto holiness, and the end, everlasting life. Brothers and sisters, I don't want to merely know that, to preach that. But the overflow of my heart is to live that on a daily basis. Because this is the power now of Christ in me and the life that glorifies God. And so I want to challenge you as I challenge myself. I may be here in the pulpit and you in the pew. But look, really, I'm in the pew also. Because there's not a single one of us that is outside the reach of the truth of what has been proclaimed today. And the challenge that I bring to every one of your heart and to my heart is to rise up now in the understanding of our thinking. You've been bought with royal blood, not so as to return to the pigsty, to wallow in the mud of sin again. We've been bought with a price for greater things, that we might evidence a life that's been changed and touched by the power of God, that the Spirit of God has come into our lives, and has changed us through and through. And so I want to leave these words with you, this exhortation with you. And perhaps as one this morning, and even as I preach, you say, Oh God, that if I'm honest, Lord, I'm not where I used to be. But Lord, I've drifted. Made allowances in my life for things I would never have made allowances for compromised in areas of my life that previously I would never have compromised with. And even as I've sat under the preaching of the word of God this morning, God has convicted me. You say to me this morning, what should I do? Well, the word of God tells us in 1 John chapter 1 that if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, in verse 9, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so that royal blood that bought your soul is able to cleanse that sin and to remove it from records. 
on the condition that we're willing to confess our sins and to own it in the presence of God, but not only that, but also to forsake it. That, Lord, I've been reminded this morning of who I am. Of who I am. Lord, I've not been living up to that standard. Forgive me. And as I leave the house of God this morning, God, I've purposed in my heart now to to make a U-turn, to leave those old things behind and to go on now, Lord, in your ways because you're my master and my Lord. Amen. Well, Heavenly Father, we... Lord, have come to your word this morning. Lord, we have seen and considered our former standing, reprobates, sinners of the worst kind. And how, Lord, you bought us in that open slave market with thy precious blood and you redeemed us, Lord. And Lord, because we have been bought at a price, we are to glorify now our new master. We're to walk in holiness and righteousness. And I pray this morning, Father, that even as we have pondered these things, that Lord, you would cause them to become a reality in our lives a reality in our lives. And that if any this morning, Father, is not right with you, and even in your gracious way this morning, you have drawn near to their souls and have convicted them and spoken to them, that, Lord, I pray you'll give them the strength now that they need to repent, to turn, Father, from that sin, whatever it might be, to plead for mercy, to rise up again, and to follow thee. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.